This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode eight of the Ned Ryan podcast. I want to talk a little bit about something that I addressed on Tucker Carlson last week, which is the fact that, that Joe Biden is an empty vessel for the far left's agenda. And I think that it's, it's pretty obvious if you've been watching anything or seen any video clips of Joe Biden recently that he's not all there. All right. I, I think that's me being polite, but obviously there are people that think he's got early onset of dementia, you know, early Alzheimer's. But the other point that I want to make beyond all of that, the fact that he's an empty suit in more than more ways than one. People have said that the left has gained a foothold inside of the Democratic Party. That's not entirely correct. It's not a foothold. They are the party. The far left has taken hold of the party, and now Joe Biden is merely the front man for the far left agenda that is the Democratic Party being proposed by Bernie Sanders and AOC. So I have to tell you, um, you know, I got the privilege of being in the East Room first week of February after Trump was exonerated from the ridiculous impeachment, Ukrainian quid pro quo a stupid attempt by Democrats to impeach him over a, another hoax that was doomed from the start, right? Of course, House Democrats can do whatever they want, impeach him. But going to the Senate, he was never going to be removed for so many different reasons. But so first week of February, I'm sitting there going, all right, he's been exonerated. He's taken, he's beaten, you know, again, the Russian collusion hoax fairy tale. He's beaten the Ukrainian quid pro quo hoax. Some major body blows, but he is on his way to a resounding re-election. Really did think that first week of February. Then we had coronavirus about a month later. Even in the middle of the coronavirus, I don't even think it's a pandemic. I might have to do another podcast to address some of the issues in Florida and Texas and the bogus numbers. But that all to say, I never thought this was a pandemic on the levels of a bad flu. Yes, regardless, this was used and hyped by the media to attempt to undermine Trump. We can quibble about some of the approach that was taken. I would have benched Fauci within a couple weeks. Regardless, I still thought after coronavirus, fine, we're good. Then comes the May 25th killing of George Floyd, the riots that ensued, the mayhem, all of the things that took place for really about six weeks and in many ways unabated. That's when the polls really started to become damaging for Trump. So we go from first week of February to now basically first of July. And it's it's a totally different ball game. Of course, those of you that have been involved in politics like myself, I mean, we're still probably multiple political lifetimes away from November of this year. So these things th this happens. That all to say, he's take Trump has taken three major body blows again, impeachment, coronavirus, the Floyd riots this year and I still think he's got a legitimate chance to win. I do. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. But then we'll talk about the fact that he, he not only has a chance, obviously, the power of incumbency, only five incumbents, by the way, have lost their reelection bid since 1900. So that's something also to remember, the power of incumbency. But we'll talk about the fact that he's up against Joe Biden, who's who's really the front man for a far left agenda. But really quick back to the polls. You know, you see all these polls, you know, Quinnipiac came out with a ridiculous poll showing Biden winning by, I don't know, 14 or 15 points nationally absurd and ridiculous. I don't buy it. Not not picking up what they're putting down. 
I think one of the things where you can look and say some people on the Democratic side who are being realistic, the Sunday Express, which is a Democratic outfit that's in Washington, D.C., their polls recently are showing there is a backlash building against the Democratic Party over the Black Lives Matter, the Marxist, racist people rioting and looting in the streets. There's a backlash against the Democratic Party over the BLM riots. And their polls show Trump and Biden tied exactly at 47 apiece. But the way the electoral map shakes out, it shows Trump right now, July of 2020, winning 309 electoral votes, a resounding reelection, even if the, the national vote is a dead tie or even Biden wins kind of like Hillary did in 2016. It shows Trump winning 309 electoral votes. So there are some people on the left who are highly nervous about the fact that the campaign really hasn't even started and it's pretty much a coin toss despite some of these ridiculous polls i will say this though i mean this is we we are a long ways away from november if you were to ask me right now where do i peg trump's chances at 45 percent, pretty solid actually considering what's happened the first seven months of this year do I think he's increased his odds dramatically recently? Of course he has. His Mount Rushmore speech, fantastic. He put in Susie Wiles to run Florida, who ran his 2016 uh, campaign in Florida. He just shifted Brad Parscale, that jumped up website designer who looked at him as a personal ATM. He just moved him out as campaign manager, put in Bill Stepien. So I think there's been some major changes over the last couple of weeks that have showed he's trending in the right direction. I think the, some of the numbers, the underlying numbers are showing that. And we haven't even really gotten to the serious part of the campaign. But that also says it's very realistic. He's up against it. I think Democrats have a legitimate chance of recapturing the Senate as well. And I think we need to examine, God forbid, the threat of the federal government being under a unified Democratic control. And we have to look at that. The reason I wanted to do this podcast is what happens if they actually win? I mean, that's a horrifying. Again, I've told Trump personally, you are the last bulwark of the republic. And if you lose it's a descent into darkness because I, I am convinced that they will weaponize. If Democrats gain control of the White House, Senate, House, they, of course, will then be in control of the very powerful federal bureaucracy, the administrative state that I talked about in a previous podcast. And I'm convinced that based off their behavior recently in the abuse of the surveillance state and law enforcement, even the IRS under the Obama administration, they will weaponize even more so weaponize those things against their political opponents. So... I think the thing that we have to address, too, Joe Biden has historically been seen as more of a moderate. Um, of course, he had to run further left in the primary to capture the Democratic nomination. And, of course, that all to say, I think even more so, he has to. I mean, the Democratic Party is the left. The left is the Democratic Party. So think about the fact that obviously he's going to his if he were to win if biden were to win nancy pelosi is speaker if they keep the house you'd have chuck schumer as the senate majority leader you'd have bernie sanders and alexandria ocasio-cortez as driving forces on the policy front right so think about all of those people that might be you know elizabeth warren as secretary of treasury uh kamala harris if she's not his vp she'll be ag you start to think about these things and all of a sudden you realize the far left these people that are well left of center will be running the various departments so not only the overall administration they'll be running the various departments again weaponizing i truly believe against the, the 
the right against conservatives. But think about it. If Democrats win the Senate and they eliminate the legislative filibuster and Democrats, again, have the White House, Senate, and House, you don't have a legislative filibuster, even if Republicans have, say, still 45 seats, 40, 46, 47, whatever it looks like, if they lose, they won't be able to filibuster because Democrats will, will jam it through and they will remove the legislative filibuster so they'll have a clean shot at addressing and pushing through the legislative agenda. Republicans, for all intents and purposes, will be powerless to stop any legislative policy items that Democrats, the left, let's, well, I, I want to stop calling them Democrats, that the left wants to push through. So the threat to the American Republic and, and conservative principles, you have, to, you have to look at this. You have to be realistic. I mean, we're, we are now less than 16 weeks away from one of the most momentous elections, not in our lifetime, but in the entire history of the American Republic. Convinced of it. I think you have to go all the way back to 1860 to truly understand how important November of 2020 is and the direction this country will take. So let, let's take a look. Last week, the week of, was that July 5th, 6th, whatever that was, uh, Biden, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, they put together a task force and they unveiled their joint goals, policy agenda items in a 110-page document. And there are many radical ideas, but I will focus on some of the overall ones, the, the, the priority ones. And Breitbart did a really good job in highlighting the, the nine. There's a lot more. This is all kinds of, is a collection of crazy. So they, they put out this statement July 8th. Uh, part of it includes rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement on day one. Biden has said that. This policy uh, platform says it. Well, uh, and I just have to address the Paris Climate Accord's impact on reducing climate change is minimal. I mean, I think it's even the UN's panel on climate change shows that over the course of 100 years, it would reduce the global temperature by decimals, like just fraction of a point, as you annihilate the entire economy of the United States, but also other nations as well, all to change the temperature, global temperature by a fraction, fraction of a degree. But Biden has pledged he will rejoin uh, the Paris Accord. And it puts, again, it puts an incredible burden, just so people are aware if you're not familiar, it puts an incredible burden on America, uh, even though the United States only emits about 15% of all the global carbon emissions, and China gets a pass, even though China emits almost a third of the entire globe's uh, carbon emissions. Uh, in this policy paper, 110 paper, page paper, it shifts the entire fleet of 500,000 school buses to American-made zero-emission alternatives in five years. Of course, this is ludicrous. It doesn't even make sure, uh, clear what will happen to the half million buses running on fossil fuels currently in existence. And again, how will the new buses be funded by local school districts that are already strapped for cash? And again, it doesn't even address, I mean, are these new buses going to be efficient as the old ones? It's going to end the cash bailouts. If you've been watching what's taking place in New York City, uh, in California, they want to take these radical experiments and impose it on the entire country. Of course, eliminating the, the bash, uh, cash bail has actually accelerated crime rates in these major cities. But what the heck, you know, why don't we just apply it to the whole country? and accelerate crime rates in every major city across the country. 
Uh, stop the practice of arresting children for behavior that ought to be handled in the principal's office. Uh, this is an effort to end the so-called, and a lot of these things are more myth and fairy tales from the left, but in the so-called school-to-prison pipeline where Democrats have argued that it disproportionately impacts minority students in the forms of suspension and arrest, and Democrats would handle criminal behavior among students within the education system. That's insane. Remember Andrew Pollock, uh, Pollock, Pollock uh, out of Florida has noted the failure to arrest students who commit criminal behavior as children could lead them to, to freely buy guns and commit massacres such as the one in which his daughter was killed, the Parkland shooting. And I mean, it's, it's what they have done and what they were doing in Florida and the Florida school systems is not addressing serious behavior and letting the criminal system step in and saying, well, we're gonna stop that and all of a sudden, whoa, criminal rates go down. Well, it's because you weren't really addressing the problem. You were trying to do it inside the education system, which of course really doesn't address it. Repeal this so-called right to work laws. These laws were made possible by the 1947 Taft-Hartley Act and have been implemented at the state level over time. They prohibit workers from being forced to join unions or paying union dues as a condition of employment. Since the implementation of this law, they've been adopted in 27 states throughout the country, and they remain pretty popular, right? It should be free of someone's free will. Do I choose to join a union or not? Not be compelled, not have my dues forcibly withdrawn from my paycheck. In fact, nearly 70% of the Alabama electorate voted to enshrine right to work, which was already in place, by the way. It was already state law in Alabama, but they turned it into, uh, they put it as part of their state constitution. Uh, these laws have, are a major factor in lowering labor costs and improving the economic strength of states that have adopted them, especially in the South, which has led to a vast relocation of businesses and workers to the South. I mean, again, these, these, you look at some of these crazy policy ideas that have been implemented in some of these blue states, and it has resulted in people leaving the state and businesses leaving the states and going to different places where it will be a much more friendly environment. Uh, Democrats are going to recognize unions with majority sign-up via so-called card check processes. Again, these pro these proce this process violates the right of workers to obtain a secret ballot, which in turn allows organizers and union officials to intimidate workers into voting for certain unions. The idea has been considered so radical that even the radical left-wing candidate George McGovern, who lost to Richard Nixon in a 49-state landslide in 1972, criticized the policy when Democrats unsuccessfully tried to impose it in 2009. Uh, as part of this Biden-Sanders um, unity platform, it calls for opposing private school vouchers. School vouchers, of course, have increased both in their popularity and their use in recent years in the face of low-quality public schools. Parents of all backgrounds have used these vouchers to send their children to more successful schools, which include, again, private and religious institutions. Democrats want to slow, even halt, the creation of new charter schools. And if Democrats have their way, it will become even harder for parents to escape failing school systems that don't properly teach their children, which will only serve to empower the teachers' unions, which, again, heavily fund the Democratic Party and are their foot soldiers. Provide a public option toward universal health care. Universal health care proposals that would abolish, abolish private health insurance, raise taxes on the middle class, and cost upwards of $32 trillion in a 10-year period. Again, these were, this was proudly championed by a lot of people in the Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Biden has actually publicly endorsed a public option, which would establish a Medicare-style health care program for all ages for people that want it. 
while supposedly, I say that in air quotes, preserving private employer-sponsored health insurance. Nevertheless, this proposal was deemed even too radical by Democrats during the 2009 health care debate, when Democrats held 250 seats, 257 seats in the House and a 60-vote supermajority in the Senate. A little over a decade later, Biden and the Democrats, at a bare minimum, want to implement that policy, which is kind of crazy. They had all the levers of power back in 2009, right? They had the White House. They had the House, dominant majority in the House, dominant majority in the Senate, and they still didn't want to go towards uh, the, the public option. Now we're talking about universal health care, Medicare for all. And again, under the public option, it wouldn't automatically eliminate private insurance, but it would put it, it, would put it at an unfair advantage since the public option would be government-sponsored and taxpayer-funded, right? So it's basically a rigged game. Private insurance companies would be trying to compete against a heavily subsidized public option plan. Who do you think is going to win out in a rigged game like that? It's not the private insurance companies. It's important to note public option would prove to be uh, an even bigger disruption to private insurance than Obamacare, which caused the cancellation of 6 million private insurance plans, despite Obama with his famous lie, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Furthermore, Bernie Sanders, who's been a longtime supporter, of course, of Medicare for All, uh, is, is advising Biden on this very thing. And so we have to be honest. I mean, Joe Biden is an empty vessel, even more so these days. You know he's going to have to embrace a full-fledged socialist health care proposal, right? Again, $32 trillion over 10 years. And I'll address it at some point in this podcast. When you start to add all of these crazy ideas together, it's insane. But it's intentionally so. Their plan is not to, their plan is to kind of pitch something that of course sounds insane, but its ultimate goal is to end this form of government. There's no way that their plans at those levels of funding would ever exist inside the current system, U.S. system of government. That's not the point. The point is to end this system, to destroy and remove the American Republic, Constitutional Republic, and replace it with a new order. They might even use the same terms, very Orwellian, might use the same terms, their goal is to end it and bring in and usher in their new socialist, Marxist, statist approach to governing. So in this uh, unity platform, they also want to end the border wall and provide a roadmap to citizenship for millions of undocumented workers. I will remind people there's a point to that. They want to give amnesty to tens of millions of illegals, turn them into Democratic voters. And then they also want to do universal mail-in ballots, as I have addressed. Those two things, you will never see free and fair elections again. You will never see Republicans in power again. People have said for generations, I mean, it would literally take a revolution, a physical revolution. If these things happen and they change it in such a way there's no free and fair elections, there's only one recourse in this situation, and it is armed resistance. And, and I hope that people are like, oh, my gosh, I hope people are not saying Ned Ryan's calling for armed resistance if this happens. No, I'm saying that usually typically in the course of history is what happens. If people are shut out of the political process, eventually they either just accept being sent to re-education camps or they fight. That's it. That's the way of history. So they want to end the, the border wall, provide a roadmap for millions of, of course, they call them undocumented workers. These are illegal immigrants. Joe Biden has promised to stop the construction of the border wall. We're over 222 miles of new wall have already been built. And there will be, it looks like another several hundred miles of a border wall that will be built by year's end. 
Construction of the border wall, again, has corresponded with significant decline in border apprehensions in recent months because they can't get through the border. You don't have to apprehend them. So not only will Biden open up the borders, again, he's going to put a path of citizenship. The low figure is 11 to 12 million illegal immigrants that are living here. That is probably a number that is only half of the real number. 2018 Yale MIT study found the, the number actually ranges between 16 and a half million to 29 million. And most people just accept the average of 22 million. So the odds are there's probably at least 22 million illegal immigrants already in this country. And even if you take that low figure, again, 11 to 12 million, you give them all amnesty and make them uh, put them on a path to citizenship. They all get to become magically overnight citizens. They have voting rights. I mean, you would take and turn states like Arizona, Florida, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina. I mean, you just shift them right over the Democratic column. And again, I would say I, I don't think you would ever see without a physical revolt a Republican ever elected to office again in the White House, Senate, uh, especially in the White House. But you even start to think about if you start to dominate these red states where there have been multiple, like both senators are Republicans, yeah, you might now have two Democratic senators with it being almost impossible for a Republican to run when as a senator. Uh, Biden has even promised to end deportations, which would incentivize, again, even more illegal immigration. Why not come if you know you're not going to be deported? The other thing, too, that I would say uh, that, that people need to understand, we're talking about illegal immigration. Chain migration, which is legal right now, they, they estimate that between 7 and 8 million, they call it family re reunification again. <laughs> They're so Orwellian in their terms, but family reunification, which is known as chain migration. If a, a member of the family has come in legally, they can then reunify the family and bring other people in. So chain migration. They think seven to eight million more will come in over the next 20 years. And by an average of two to one, those coming in via chain migration vote for which party? That's right. The Democratic Party. Why? Because they want to see more social programs, social welfare programs. Chain migration is the holy grail for Democrats because they know if they bring in seven to eight million more people via that process and by a two to one margin, they will vote Democrat. They don't even have to worry about giving amnesty to illegal immigrants. So we also know Biden presidency would, would also result in universal mandatory mail-in ballots. We know that these are rife with fraud. I mean, if you look at what took place in New Jersey recently, one out of five, fully 20% of them were fraudulent. I mean, that, that you don't need it to be 20%. You need 5%, 10% to completely change a national election. A recent Just the News poll found that two-thirds of Americans, including about 48% of Democrats, believe this increased mail-in ballot approach, universal mail-ins, would increase voter fraud. Um, again, Democratic politicians are using the coronavirus pandemic as justification to expand, if not mandate, mail-in ballots. Which I already sent. I mean, you can see in Oregon, Washington, Colorado, these are all universal mail-in ballot uh, states. And again, you know it's going to corrupt future elections. And it would, again, enshrine a Democratic majority in the Electoral College and the House of Representatives and even the Senate for future elections. They're not interested in debate. I mean, I, I hope that you understand the left is not interested in having a rational debate. They are not interested in the integrity of the vote. They are interested in power. They are interested in obtaining power and holding power to implement their crazy ideas. That's it. 
NPR analysis found that 65,000 absentee and mail-in ballots in 17 primary elections have been thrown out in those primary elections this cycle for arriving past the deadline. Tens of thousands have been thrown out. If you look at as a percentage of total number of ballots, Virginia threw out 5.6%, about 3% were thrown out in Arkansas and Oklahoma, almost 2.7% were thrown out in Rhode Island, over 2% were thrown out in New Hampshire, 2% in Minnesota, 1% in Pennsylvania, 1% in Vermont. According to Breitbart, mail-in voting has been riddled with inaccuracies, mishaps, and potential fraud. Almost 30 million mail-in ballots have disappeared since the 2012 election. Right in the last eight years, over the course of these elections, 30 million have disappeared. So they're making the argument that they have to implement these universal mail-in ballot laws to preserve public health in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, which is, again, in my mind, not a pandemic. I think the numbers are rigged, but they're using these numbers to then justify mail-in ballots. But if you look at the real numbers, look at April, again, in the Wisconsin primary uh, spring election in, uh, in Wisconsin, only 52, 52 of the 400,000 in-person voters and poll workers contracted the coronavirus and none of them died, which indicates an infection rate of less than two hundredths of one percent among this population. Right. But, oh, we can't have people vote in person. They could all get coronavirus. Yeah. Less than two hundredths of one percent in the Wisconsin spring spring elections got coronavirus. None of them died. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, you know, May 12th uh, in Patterson, New Jersey, the municipal elections, one in five mail in ballots were rejected as fraudulent. Uh, this has led the New Jersey attorney general to charge four men with voter fraud, including the city council's vice president and candidate for that body. Patterson is the third largest city in the state and has a municipal budget exceeding $300 million. In this election, 3,190 3, out of 16,747 votes by mail, 19%, were deemed invalid. More specifically, between 500 and 700 Republicans out of the 2,400 enrolled Republicans in Bernardsville received ballots that only included Democratic options. So between 500 and 700 Republicans received ballots that only had Democrats to vote for. But do tell me about the integrity of the votes with universal mail-in ballots. Uh, Gavin Newsom, of course, has signed a bill to send mail-in ballots to every registered voter in the state. Of course, not all the people on the, the voter rolls are actually eligible to vote. Case in point, there were 23,000 dead people and an undetermined number of illegal aliens that are on the voter rolls due to the state's lenient motor voter laws, right? When you go get your driver's license, you get automatically registered to vote. Doesn't mean you're actually eligible to vote, but that's how it works. To further complicate matters, California has stated they will accept any mail-in ballot up to 17 days after the election. 17 days, over two weeks, they'll still accept ballots. That's insane. There are also 2,000 duplicate registrants, 1,500 registrants who have evidently voted twice for the same, from the same address in the last three elections, hundreds of registrants who have evidently voted twice in at least two California counties in 2016. Between 2012 and 2018, almost 14 million mail-in ballots in California alone have been listed as status unknown, and almost 
840,000 mail-in ballots have been sent to out-of-date addresses. Uh, Breitbart reported that this is a, uh, likely a significant amount of illegal aliens uh, will be sent mail-in ballots for this election cycle. So think about it. With universal mail-in ballots, everybody's getting a ballot. If you're on the motor voter laws, you got a, de- uh, a license, you're on the voter rolls, you get a, you get a ballot now. It doesn't mean you're eligible to vote. Then the question becomes how many were sent to illegal immigrants? How many of them took the ballot? How, how many of them actually voted in the elections they weren't supposed to vote in? Again, knowing that most of these people coming in by two to one bar- margin vote Democrat because they want more social welfare. At various times, California has more registered voters on voter rolls than are eligible to vote in the state, leading to a more than 100% voter registration rate. So I've also told people that are involved in the Trump campaign, you can expect the Philadelphia precincts, for example, who have, this has happened before, I'm not making this up, have had over 100% voter turnout, like 108, 110, whatever it is. Ridiculous number of votes. They don't exist. People, there's people that dead people are voting. People that don't exist. They send ballots to, you know, a, a single home that supposedly has 20 people registered there. All of a sudden, magically, there's over 100% voter turnout. That's crazy. And we act like this is, this is acceptable on some level. By means of the Biden-Sanders uh, unity platform, Biden has definitely signaled an openness to reparations for slavery. Uh, Despite the issues in determining who is a descendant of slaves, the fact that no one alive in America has been ever subject to U.S. chattel slavery, and that over 600,000 Americans died in a war that resulted in slavery's abolition, reparations would be incredibly expensive. Robert Johnson, founder of of BET, the Black Entertainment Television, has called for $14 trillion in reparations, or about $350,000 per person, He did that this summer, June of 2020. As far-reaching as this proposal is, the U.S. Conference of Mayors on July 13th released a letter backing a Democratic Party plan to establish a commission to pay reparations. The astronomical cost, I mean, this would be incredible. First of all, you don't even know, like, like, did you really, were you a slave? Are you really truly descendant of slaves? Like, are you descendant of slaves at what percentage of your bloodline? Are you a descendant of slaves? And then obviously, it's just insane. This is absolute insanity. How do you actually, this is mind-boggling stupid. And yet, we have serious, supposedly serious people who are part of a major party who actually have a very legitimate chance of being in power talking like this is a rational idea. Three college professors have conducted a study titled Wealth Implications of Slavery and Racial Discrimination for African-American Descendants of the Enslaved, again published in the Review of Black Political Economy. This this study factored in the unpaid hours slaves worked, calculates a price for massacres and discrimination, and adds on interest. If reparations were paid to all 41 million black people in this country, then the ultimate cost would be an astonishing 6.2 quadrillion. The payment to each one of those people would be about 151 million each, and the cost to each person not covered by the program would be about 19 million. The Green New Deal is a far-left wish list that would transition the United States to renewable energy by the end of the decade, 
eliminate air travel, retrofit every building in the United States, leading to soaring electricity bills, would cost about $93 trillion over the course of a decade. Initial draft even proposed to give universal basic income to those unable or, wait for it, unwilling to work. Of course, we also know, famously, it sought to eliminate farting cows. In order to highlight the insanity of this proposal, Mitch McConnell brought it up for a vote in March of 2019 to get Democrats on the record. Are you really serious about this? Only four Democrats voted. Uh, only vo four Democrats voted no, while the other 43 voted present, indicating they may actually support some iteration of this bill in the future. And if they get a large enough Senate majority, Democrats are likely to do something along these lines. As of now, on the low end, Joe Biden is actually proposing spending three times more than what Hillary Clinton promised to spend. I mean, it's real. It's about seven. He's, he's saying seven trillion on assortment of big government policies over the next 10 years. That's not even true. Like, that's a lie as well. First of all, massive spending above Hillary Clinton. But that's a lie. It's, it's a total. Again, he's he's in notorious. He is. He's a political chameleon. He's made a career for decades of just political, just lying. If you were to actually add up everything that has taken place, uh, every, every idea that's being proposed, right? Again, universal basic income, universal health care, reparations, free college, the Green New Deal, all this crazy list, and I actually put a real estimate on pr price tag on it. You look at that, you are looking at uh, $200 trillion over the first 10 years. Okay, it's insane. And again, pointing out that this is that this is not based in reality, but it's not really meant to be. They're not really, that's not the point. The point is to actually end what is now, right? What we currently have in place is to absolutely annihilate it, implode it, crush it, and then the only option becomes their ideas, statism, Marxism. We'll save you, but then it becomes, I mean, this is, the other point I made too on Tucker is this is coercive socialism. You can only implement these things by coercion, right? Green New Deal, all of these things. You're going to have to coerce people to do it. There's another term for coercive socialism. It's called communism. So the left is all about coercive socialism, which is communism. You know, the other thing, too, that, that should alarm people is the fact, among all these ideas that should be alarming, you know, Biden's talking about ending shareholder capitalism, most people are like, well, that's what, what does that even mean? Well, if you have a 401k and a pension, you are a shareholder capitalist. He's talking about ending your way of life. Your, your blue, blue collar workers, the union members, retirees living in Florida off these you know, 401ks, pensions, the suburban families that are putting money away, my family that's putting money away for retirement. He's talking about ending that. And really giving a lot of power to the private equity types in which they will be the ones dictating a lot of things. It's just, it's insane that someone that we are actually taking seriously, the nominee for a major party talking about these things. But this is how far we've gotten, right? This is the ultimate end of our indoctrination centers. People being ingrained and indoctrinated, inculcated in un-American ideas, not being taught the truth about Marxism, about socialism, about communism, and then thinking that somehow, well, we'll do it better this time. No, you won't. History is replete with failed attempts 
the deaths of tens of millions of people, economies destroyed, nations crushed by people trying to implement these ideas, and they are actually very seriously and in a position to do so that should be looked at as a very legitimate threat to be in power within about four months' time. Right? The, the win obviously wouldn't be sworn in until a couple months later, but they would be essentially in power four months from now. So that's what we're up against. I mean, we're also up against the fact that they, <laughs> they want to actually pack the Supreme Court. Um, they, they, you know that if they can do all of these other agenda items, pack the Supreme Court, they're going to go after gun rights. I mean, this is, you know, far-reaching gun control policies. You know that they will be implemented by a unified Democratic government. Uh, after the Parkland shooting in February of 2018, House Democrats introduced a bill that would ban at the federal level magazines holding more than 10 bullets. And they also tried to cl they classify 205 different firearms uh, as being assault weapons. The definition of assault weapon, according to the bill, are weapons with a detachable magazine and a pistol grip, forward grip, folding stock, rocket launcher. I, I would love to be able to buy a gun with a rocket launcher uh, or threaded barrel, which, of course, is for a suppressor. Uh, pistols made by. Oh, and then they listed all the makers, right? Uh, pistols made by Heckler & Koch, uh, De Daniel Defense, CZ, America Spirit, DPMS, Centurion, as well as rifles manufactured by Springfield Armory, Barrett, Stag Arms, Heckler & Koch, Mossberg, Keltec, Remington, Rock River, Diamondback, Daniel Defense, Bushmaster, Colt, Norinco, and Armalite are all included in this ban. Basically, they want to run not only say that these guns are assault weapons and ban them, also crush the manufacturers of said guns. Uh, within several weeks of the introduction of this proposal, majority of the House Democrats, 156 of the 193 had signed on. The threat to right to bear arms is further highlighted by the fact that Joe Biden has promised to make Beta O'Rourke in charge of the gun issue. And of course, he remarked during the September 2019 Democratic primary debate, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15 and your AK-47, to which I say Molan Labe. Come and take them. Biden also previously said on the Iowa campaign trail, as well as in the New York Times op-ed, that the assault weapons ban, which he voted for back in 1994, must be brought back and made even stronger via mandatory Australia-style gun buyback program. This time, it would take guns away that were purchased before the adoption of the ban and make it permanent. On the life issue, the other thing they're talking about is completely... I mean, Joe Biden used to be, right, he supported the Hyde Amendment and the Mexico City policy in the past, but he's now reversed his position completely on those issues and favors his party's extreme pro-abortion policy. Again, the Hyde Amendment prevented U.S. taxpayer dollars from directly funding abortions, and Mexico City policy prevented taxpayer funds from going towards international organizations that promote or perform abortions. But last June, Biden said he uh, was now opposed to the Hyde Amendment, uh, again, in order to appeal to the, the far left, which is the party. Again, to remind you, the left is the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party is the left. Uh, he also wants to restore funding to Planned Parenthood that the Trump administration has cut through, Medi uh, through the Medicaid and Title VI. Um, he also wants to codify Roe v. Wade into legislative status, promises to appoint judges that would uphold the right to an abortion, and assign time to his party's pledge to protect abortion through the entirety of pregnancy, right up to the moment of birth. I mean, this is a very personal issue just for even me. Our daughter was born at 24 weeks gestation. She is a beautiful, healthy 11-year-old now. 
babies that are completely viable in the, basically the second trimester, but even in the third trimester, they would abort them. In the wake of calls to defund or even abolish the police throughout the country, Joe Biden has claimed he does not favor such a movement. However, in an interview with health advisor, care activist, a uh, uh, healthcare activist last week, Biden, when pressed on whether he would favor redirecting some of the funding for the police into funding for social services and mental health counseling and affordable housing, and Biden responded by saying, yes, I have proposed that kind of reform. He also went on to claim surplus military equipment for law enforcement. They don't need that. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood just like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They have become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. Okay, well, it's not an explicit endorsement of fully defunding or abolishing the police. I mean, these comments, I mean, this is, he is kowtowing to the far left, right? To the Black Lives Matter Marxist racists who are calling for not only defunding, but in many places, abolishment of the police force. Because like AOC said, we just want, if we remove the police, it'll become the suburbs. It is staggeringly stupid. Intentionally so. I mean, she's lying through her teeth. I mean, she, I, I, this is the thing I struggle with AOC on. It's really hard to be able to accept that someone is that stupid and uh, th that she's not intentionally that stupid that is, this is not premeditated she might be guys she might be that stupid at the same time it's hard to accept that somebody can say these things and not knowingly be saying it to advance a narrative to somehow advance a lie that this is intentional lying I mean, either she's intentionally lying to advance a narrative or she's incredibly stupid, neither of which are good. You know, that's not good on either front. That we actually have somebody that's in the House of Representatives that is a leading force, whether they choose to accept it or not, inside of the Democratic caucus, pushing these crazy ideas. Again, product of our indoctrination centers. That all to say, this is what's at stake. You need to understand, and I hope that you'll get a better idea after this podcast, this is what's at stake this, this November. These are radical ideas. Joe Biden, don't, don't remember Joe Biden from 25 years ago. That Joe Biden, I don't think even really exists anymore. And I say that in all seriousness. He is the front man for a radical, radical agenda. And the Democrats are hoping that somehow slapping Joe Biden on the face of the Bernie Sanders AOC radical agenda that people won't notice until it's too late. I intend to help you notice before it's too late.